0: Would you mind grabbing that door anyway? So, we're glad to see you all here this morning. I hope you enjoyed my friend uh, Jack Cruz preaching last week, one of my friends from the EFCA East District. So it was a planned vacation for me to see my grandson, actually. So it worked out great. And uh, I got to do the live streaming from the other end. It's fun to experience it sometimes from that side. And I have to say, that was one of the best... uh, I thought explanations of the book of Lamentations that I've heard in a long time, and I hope that you were really blessed uh, by his preaching of the Word to you as I was, especially as he took us through the heart of the book of Lamentations, which really reveals the heart of God in the midst of one of the greatest times of judgment that the people of God have ever experienced. Well, we're going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 8. It's printed for you in your worship folders this morning and hearing the Word of God. And you've probably noticed that people listen to the Word and they respond to the Word of God in a lot of different ways, especially as you share it with them. I mean, some people are actually pretty hard toward the gospel and hostile. Uh, You know, we go to the extreme and say, you know, some people will even kill you for it. Uh, Not likely, and often in America that that happens. Uh, Usually here we got uh, people that will politely listen to you but they are indifferent to really what you're saying. Other people, of course, are not so polite, and uh, there seem to be a lot of those these days, at least in my experience. Some people are inquisitive, and uh, they seem to make uh, some progress, but not as much as maybe you would hope that they would. And then there's always those people that seem to listen and listen and listen, but never seem to get anywhere, never make any progress. And it's like, how many times do we have to have this conversation? Others get excited about the fact that you brought up the Scriptures, you want to talk to them about it, they're thankful. In fact, some people, I think, get too excited because they're really excited that they get to insert their own opinions into your conversation about the Scriptures. They're so obnoxious, those people. But uh, I could name them, but I won't name my, my friends in that category. But you know, some are so eager to listen to the Word of God, they take you by surprise and you wonder if they're actually hearing really what you're saying because... Doesn't quite seem to all be there, and they talk so much, you wonder if they're hearing anything, if anything's going in. Um, some people are eager to hear, and their growth is astounding. Others, though, they'll do just as quick a turnaround as accepting, as rejecting. Some slowly fade away, but others just seem to just come to a grinding halt in their supposed faith. But then, there are those that are just a pure delight, and they listen to the Scriptures as you share with them. And, and it seems like God is opening their minds, and they're getting some spiritual understanding. And they grow, and they just keep on growing, and their love for Christ is abundant. This is really a very short list, actually. Each person, doesn't it seem like each and every person you share with is like their own category uh, of people? There are so many different types of people. But please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, or you can follow along as it's printed for you in your worship folder. And we're going to hear about hearing about Uh, the Word of God. And we'll read it as we go, because it's such a long text this morning. But I have one question for us to ponder this morning, and that is, would you like to get closer to Jesus? Would you like to get closer to Jesus? Well, we're going to learn today that in order to become a close disciple of Jesus, we have to hear the Word of God with a good heart, hold on to it, and persevere in doing it. So let me pray for us this morning. Oh, Lord God, we thank you for your scriptures that you have given to us, for without them we really wouldn't know who you are, what you're like. We certainly wouldn't know our salvation in Jesus Christ, and we thank you for those scriptures that you've given to us to strengthen us as your people, as your church, and we pray this morning that you would bring us uh, even into a closer walk with you, Lord Jesus, that we would be more faithful uh, disciples, closer disciples of yours, and that we would just enjoy following you and we pray these things for Your glory in our lives. Amen. So, in our passage this morning, after we have this introduction to another Galilean tour of Jesus, He's on another preaching tour in verses 1 to 3, Luke Luke offers us three lessons on how to hear the Word of God. So, the first lesson, in verses 4 to 15, a very long section, is that uh, close disciples hear the Word of God and they bear fruit in their lives. Uh, Second point, In verses 16 to 18, close disciples will receive the word, and they keep on receiving it. And third, in verses 19 to 21, close disciples not only listen to the word, but they obey it. So, so far in Jesus' Galilean ministry, you know, began in Luke chapter 4, Luke has shown us many examples of Jesus' preaching, of his ministry, uh, Jesus gathering his 12 disciples around him, a number of people responding in faith to his message. And uh, Luke also, as he's presented to us this Jesus, uh, has raised a lot of Christological questions, we would call them theologically, about who is this Jesus, who is the eternal Son of God who has become man, who can forgive sins, and the list just goes on and on. Who is this Jesus? And now he's going to start making even greater claims about Jesus and his authority, and he's going to be calling us to a greater confession of faith. And as we move along in Luke, it's going to explain to us even the greater cost of discipleship. So in a way, you know, if we proceed from Luke from this point forward, it might even get a little bit scary. But, you know, that's really what we want in our lives as disciples of Jesus is to just get closer and closer to Him. Well, in our passage this morning, there's a call to faith after the healings that we saw in chapter 7 and the story of the sinful woman who anointed Him at His party that He was at at Simon the Pharisee's home. Well, there's an encouragement here for those that are listening to Jesus, maybe for the first time, to actually believe in Him, and maybe that's you this morning. There's also an encouragement for us who already believe in Him to continue believing and persevere in believing. And so our passage begins in verses 1 through 3, and we read, soon afterward, that's after that party at Simon's house, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. So here's a mention of another Galilean tour. Uh, there were a handful of them that Jesus went on, with, and this time we notice that he goes out with his 12 and a bunch of women. And uh, these women are disciples of his. They're supporters of his, even financial backers. Uh, it wasn't uncommon, of course, for itinerant preachers to have financial backers, but it was pretty uncommon for Jewish rabbis to have financial backing. And Jesus and his group, you know, they're going to be traveling from city to city, from village to village, and they're going to need places to stay, and they're going to need food to eat. And uh, Jesus would be proclaiming the kingdom of God, as we learned earlier in Luke chapter 4, verse 43. Uh, Jesus said, I must preach the kingdom of God to others, in other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. And his disciples would be assisting him. They'd be witnessing what he's doing, you know, because it's not going to be too much later that they're going to start doing the same things themselves, and Jesus is going to send them out to tell people about the kingdom of God. And maybe you've noticed this, maybe you haven't so far in the Gospel of Luke, but Luke has been emphasizing for quite some time in these first eight, ch- eight chapters here the belief and the involvement of women in his ministry and, and who he ministers to. We think about the widow at Nain recently and the sinful woman in chapter 7. Um, now we've got this list of three women in our passage that we're looking at this morning who had contributed. You know, earlier, of course, in the book, we have Elizabeth and Mary and Anna. They focus these prominent roles, of what it really means and examples of being disciples of Jesus Christ. And, you know, some of you may or may not know that this is actually a theme uh, in Luke's gospel, is the role of women in Jesus' ministry. And, uh, you know, some churches have a hard time properly valuing women and uh, the role that they play in the kingdom of God. So if that's you, then hopefully then this passage will be helpful to you. Well, these many women that are mentioned here have experienced the power of God, uh, the power of the kingdom by Jesus Christ himself, they've been healed of evil spirits, uh, healed of diseases. Uh, Mary Magdalene, we already told you, she is not the sinful woman of chapter 7, uh, but she had seven demons cast out of her. She was from the city of Migdal, about three miles northwest of Tiberias on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, she became a pivotal witness um, at the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Later on, we'll, we'll see that. Uh, Joanna, we don't know a whole lot about her. She's the wife of Chusa, who's Herod's steward, which means basically uh, he managed Herod's estate. And so she's very likely a very, very wealthy, very influential woman who has become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then Susanna, and she'll come up later actually in the book of Luke. We'll we'll see her again. Um, Susanna, we don't really know anything about her. But when they go on this tour with Jesus, we sort of wonder well, what are they going to see? How are people going to be responding to the word of God as Jesus preaches it? So we get to our first lesson of Jesus on hearing. Close disciples hear the word of God and they bear fruit. And so we get to the well-known parable of the soils. And uh, this also is recorded in Matthew 13 and in Mark 4. Matthew 13 and Mark 4. Now, if you look at Matthew and Mark and you follow along in their gospel presentations, at their point and their point in bringing up the parable of the soils is they're very concerned about the advance of the kingdom of God. And you'll notice how this fits in with other parables of the kingdom. Luke's focus is more on the aspect of hearing and believing. And so we get these stories surrounding uh, surrounding this passage about hearing, about listening well. And the fact that though this parable is recorded and explained in all three of these gospels, they're known as the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, means it uh, it was a very important parable because it shows the sort of the result pattern of Jesus preaching, uh, the gospel of the kingdom. In other words, it's telling us what we should expect when we talk to people about the gospel. Uh, Jesus explained it this way to his disciples so that they themselves would understand, this is what's going to happen when you start telling people about me. These are the responses you're going to get. And now, of course, Luke is telling the church and telling us so that we know what to expect. Because, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes it seems like I expect too much of people. Or I expect too little in the response. And I think as, uh, as a, that's often the case, is that we can expect too much or too little from our hearers. And this tells us what exactly we can be looking for. And so in verses 4 to 8, we get this presentation of the parable, 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10, there's an explanation that Jesus gives of parables. And then finally, he's going to interpret it for us. Well, that's really nice, because he doesn't often do that. So in verses 4 to 8, we read, And when there was a great crowd was gathered, people from town after town came to him. He said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is a very exciting and busy day. If we read in Matthew and Mark, and Jesus actually told this parable we learn from a boat, and, and the multitudes from all different types of people are coming out to see him, all different interest levels, all different types of motivations of why they want to see Jesus and listen to him. The multitudes were gathering, and then Jesus would teach them, of course, many things, but he told them, this particular parable. Now, note the stress in this parable. It's not on the sower, Jesus. It's not on the seed, the gospel, the word proclaimed, and of course, they're very, very important. But the stress is on the soil. It's on the hearers, the response to the seed. That is the results that are produced. And of course, this is coming from a common practice of farming at the, in the day at this particular time frame and culture. And so this is literally what they would do to farm in, uh, in October through December. You throw seeds out from a bag. You can plow before or after. It doesn't really matter. They start, uh, starts, uh, the, the grain starts uh, coming up in, the, in the April and May, and they would harvest in June. So seed is going to fall in a lot of different places if you use this method. Uh, a lot of different soil conditions. And uh, it's not readily apparent to the sower even necessarily where he's throwing the seed. I mean, he's not trying to waste any of it. Um, so... The sower scatters almost indiscriminately, and there are four main types of soil that receive the grain seed. There are the beside the road. It's referring to the paths through the field that get hard-packed down. And and so the seed here gets easily picked up by birds, and Luke mentions down trampled by people. You wonder if Luke here is sort of a backhanded way of saying how some people just have contempt for the word. trample it underfoot. Unrocky soil refers to soil that's shallow. It's not that it's a bunch of rocks in the soil, but that there's a layer of limestone beneath. And uh, and the seed looks like it's gonna be okay. Um, And it's gonna grow up unusually quickly, but it's gonna be followed by withering due to the sun, loss of moisture, it doesn't have a root system. Then there's the seed that's among thorns. It's referring to the soil that would eventually have a lot of weeds in it. It's not like the sower is deciding, hey, there's a weed patch, let's put seed there. I mean, that would be dumb. But the weeds are going to grow up with it and choke it out and, uh, and steal all the water. Be very unfruitful. It would be a slow, painful death for these, 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 pieces, these grain stalks. And then there's the good soil, and it refers to the perfect conditions where you're going to get a most bountiful crop. You're going to get a hundredfold. Notice that Luke, in his style, he's not listing all the levels like Matthew does. You're just going to get a hundredfold. And so, unlike the other three conditions, we find here then lasting life, lasting fruitfulness. And verse 8, of course, is the whole point of the parable. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is even calling out to those who were listening at the time for faith in what all he's been teaching them. And you see, this parable is really a parable about preaching the gospel of the kingdom in parables. You'll see that in a moment. So this is a parable about preaching in parables. And that will come out because, you know, Jesus was not always clear. And sometimes we wonder, well, why in the world is he trying to confuse people or what is going on? Well, actually, we sort of learn that, yeah, he is trying to confuse some people. Um, And so we read about the function of the parable. So after everyone is gone, the disciples are alone with Jesus and they ask him what this parable meant in verse 9. And he said, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So the crowds are gone. Disciples are left to ask Jesus about this parable of the soils. He gives them a much broader answer than they were probably expecting about initially here, before he even explains it, about all parables. This is a parable about parables. And then he's going to give the specific application. So what is a parable? Now often it's just a simple story with some spiritual component at the end to it, a profound point. But parables are a little more involved than that. They're not just a story, they incorporate often a lot of different figures of speech in them, and that sometimes they're very difficult to interpret. You've probably run into that for yourself, you know, reading through some of the parables. You know, What is he talking about? Um, parables are literary teaching devices, and they were used to not just capture people's attention, but to force participation. See, because a lot of people like to just sort of listen to stories, but parables like draw you in on purpose because somehow you know the story is about you. And that's how parables work. And A technical definition of a parable is that uh, parables intend to overturn viewpoints, to call into question what are commonly held beliefs and values. So this is how Jesus would often preach the gospel of salvation. Um, you might wonder why it's so confusing at times. Well, Luke only tells us a very brief answer. Um, he talks about and focuses on the words from Isaiah chapter 6. So, if you want an extended discussion, this is in Matthew 13. So, you can go to Matthew 13 on your own, and you can read this extended discussion of Isaiah chapter 6 and how it's brought in here to explain why it is that Jesus would do this. But simply put, God has not God has given knowledge and understanding, He's given the mysteries of the kingdom of God to them, to select individuals. This means that He would teach them more than the rest. It's sort of like now. I mean, do you realize that you're getting more of Scripture now than people who are not here Uh, They would be given spiritual insight, these certain people, to the purposes and plans of God in the history of redemption, but God would let the rest of people stay in the dark. They would only hear the parables, and they would just sort of have to guess at what they mean, but they wouldn't understand. They might perceive certain truths, but the full comprehension is going to elude them, and they're simply being allowed to continue in their own false ideas that they already have about the kingdom and their own spiritual dullness. In fact, one purpose, it's not the only purpose, but one purpose is to harden people further into judgment. So you can find that in Isaiah chapter 6. You know, only part of that section of of Isaiah 6 is quoted here. But that was one purpose of the parables. So the commissioning and the sending forth, you know, of Isaiah in his day is getting re-fulfilled in Jesus. Um, It would be re-fulfilled again. As the apostles would go out and preach, and as we would go out and preach, the the gospel both saves people and judges people, and God would give understanding to some people, and He would withhold understanding from, from, from some people according to His will, as He would give salvation to those He's chosen. This is how it is in knowing Jesus as the Christ and God's purposes. God has to illumine the mind. He has to turn the light bulb on, spiritually speaking. Parables, you see, both reveal and conceal at the same time, and they would be an avenue of grace for some and an avenue of rebuke and judgment for others. And we should really see this as an analogy for all of Scripture, too, whether or not people really understand it. I mean, it's simple enough to understand. It's in, I mean, at least the copy you have probably is in English. I mean, people can read it and understand it, what it's saying. But to believe it and to spiritually understand it, that's a spiritual thing that God has to give to an individual. It's called the doctrine of spiritual illumination. And it ultimately explains the difference, really, between the response of the hearers and why it is that some of them do not get it and others do. The parable of the soils is explained by that. But we also don't want to miss what Luke is also telling us as hearers of the Word as he's telling us how to listen. I mean, if you want to learn more truth from Jesus, um, or do you think you already know it all? I mean, I've run into a lot of people who think they already know everything they need to know about Christianity, but they never read the Bible. run into a lot of people who say they're Christians, but they may not claim they know it all, but they claim they know mostly all of it. I think there's a lot more to learn. Well, then we get to the interpretation of the parable in verses 11 through 15, And we read, now the parable is this, a seed is the word of God, the ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they do not have any root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing will fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and the fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So here's an example of how Jesus would explain parables to his disciples on the side. The seed sown is the preaching of the word, the gospel by Jesus, the disciples would be carrying this on soon and so would we eventually. So it's really good to pay attention to what Jesus is saying here because it's gonna make you more confident actually in sharing the gospel. And uh, I know I need more confidence in sharing the gospel. So I'm assuming you're like me to some degree. So you probably need some more confidence in sharing the gospel as well. And it comes here because we understand that how it works when we do it. So in the first three soils, we see it produces nothing Because in some way or another, it gets killed off. And then, that's because it's accomplished in conjunction with a lot of enemies. There are the devils involved, spiritual forces are involved, uh, people's life is involved, adversaries and distractions. So the the beside-the-road people, they hear the word, but they don't really understand it because they're careless listeners, first of all. The The gospel, like, bounces off of their hard hearts like it bounces off the path. And it gets removed by the devil. And Luke emphasizes Jesus' words so that they may not believe and be saved. I mean, that's the whole reason we're proclaiming, right? Is so that people could believe the word and be saved. But that result is only going to come with the fourth soil type. But as we see here, it's not just the person's fault. But there's a spiritual battle that comes when we give the gospel to people and we tell them about that. And... Uh, It's what it's gonna be like, you know, the devil's gonna go after people that we share the gospel with. I am sure you have noticed this before, that you know, somebody just seems to have all the spiritual interest, God's working in their heart, you share the gospel with them, and then they disappear. It's like, well, what happened? All of a sudden, they're gone, they've ghosted you, it's just weird. And you wonder, how in the world did this take place? That's because there's a battle going on in the heavenlies for the soul of people. Well, then the second soil upon the rocky soil People here also hear the Word of God. Uh, But their so-called belief is only temporary. The Gospels immediately receive with joy. It seems like they have faith. It sprouts up so quickly, but without a whole lot of thought to it. And they look very promising at first. And we can be tricked sometimes. But it doesn't take long before the trials and the temptations of life suck out all the joy for these people. And they don't like the suffering part about Christianity. I mean all the benefits was a good thing but you know just as people come quickly to the gospel they can leave just as quickly it's just too hard and since they don't have deep roots of understanding but only this shallow faith they don't last very long and then there's the in the in the thorns or among the thorns people who hear the word they accept it but the world chokes them to death uh, the gospel gets overpowered by their life by their worries of personal welfare, uh, by their need for having to accumulate wealth and possessions, by them giving themselves over to the pleasures that come from all the creature comforts that God has blessed us with. And the gospel of Jesus, you see, for these people just basically isn't their greatest treasure. It's not their greatest treasure. It's just one of their many prized possessions, trophies they could put on their shelf, is I've believed in Jesus. So they really love other things more than they love Jesus Christ. And so misplaced priorities eventually choke out any resemblance of spiritual life in these people. Now, here's the thing. It can take a lot of time. It can take a lot of time. I mean, at first, these people, they tend to just look like weak Christians. You know, and we use that term occasionally to talk about people or describe people well. I don't know if they're really Christian or not. If they are, they're really weak Christian. And it could be, that could be true. But after a while, the truth will become plain that these particular people that Jesus is talking about were never really believers at all. There's no spiritual life there. I mean, the plant is useless. It's, It's all but dead. And soon enough, it will be dead. And then there's the good soil. People who hear the word, it actually penetrates their soul. Notice how they're described, these people, because it probably describes you. They have an honest and good heart when they receive the Word of God. They hold fast to the Word of God in the midst of trials. They're patient, and they persevere. I mean, these characteristics are not true of the other soil types, but they're true characteristics of those of us who produce spiritual fruit in our lives. You know, and Luke is the only one of the gospel writers. I said this was recorded in three of them who emphasizes these characteristics. He wants us to hear them so that we know that that's the pathway forward to even grow more. In fact, you might want to circle verse 15. And you know, one of the reasons I print the scriptures out for you in your worship folder so you don't have to make a mess in your own Bible. You can make a mess on that piece of paper and take it home, right? So circle, circle verse 15. It tells us how to, how to listen. It takes us back to verse 8, doesn't it? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. These are the people who paid attention. It takes us back to verse 10. These are the people to whom the mysteries of the kingdom have been revealed. So the first lesson on hearing the word of God is that close disciples hear the word of God and they bear fruit in their lives. Jesus is explaining the kind of responses that he's getting. This is what's happening as he preaches to people. And this is how the kingdom of God is going to advance. And surely you've seen people respond exactly the same way that Jesus has in each of these categories. I mean, we're going to get the same responses as we proclaim the gospel. We're going to do it just like Jesus did. It's almost like it's indiscriminate. We'll just share with, you know, whoever. And we realize that as we're sharing the gospel with people, you know, spiritual battles in the heavenlies are, are, are heating up. And what we're looking for is fruit in people's life over time. And that's key over time. And uh, that alone is going to show spiritual life. I mean, if somebody makes a profession of faith, that's all that is, you know. It's a profession. I mean, that's good. I mean, if it's true faith, it's going to start there. But we're looking for more than just that profession. Over time, we're looking for fruit to see if this is true faith. And believe it or not, there are all soil types in the church. There's types one, two, three, and four. Now, hopefully, mainly fours, right? But... There's a real danger, though, of careless, hard hearts in churches. There's a real danger of shallow understanding. There's a real danger of worldliness creeping in. And so, yes, there's an encouragement here for us then to hear the Word of God well. It's like we sang in the song earlier and asked Ramey to do his song again, "Hide hide your Word in my heart. Hide your Word in my heart, Lord, because I want it to produce fruit. And so if you want to become a close disciple of Jesus, a true disciple, a better disciple, then you have to hear the Word of God with a good heart, hold on to it, and persevere in doing it. That's the first lesson. It's the longest lesson. The other two are very brief. And the second lesson on hearing the Word of God is that close disciples receive it, and they keep on receiving the Word of God in verses 16 to 18. So we read here, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away." In this section here, this passage, it it appears in Mark chapter 4. Um, The sayings are sort of scattered throughout Matthew, but, and they'll get repeated actually in Luke, so we'll get a second chance to hear them. But these admonitions are to hear the word well and to um, apply it well in different contexts in our lives. And Jesus will repeat these sayings. He would repeat sayings a lot uh, in his teaching. And he takes hearing his word very seriously. Uh, He wants those to hear to understand well, And so here it's very simple, we have this lamp analogy, verse 16, there's an analogy with a lamp. And then we learn in verse 17 that, well, actually, now is the time that the lamp has been brought out. And then in verse 18, there's a reward for those who hear well. So no one after lighting a lamp is going to cover it up with a jar, right? You light a lamp to provide light for the people in the room. You don't light a lamp and then put it out again or go hide it somewhere, but you want to put it in a prominent place so that people can see it and see by it. And the light is God's revelation, most especially shining brightly in the person of Jesus Christ and in his teaching of the kingdom. That's what the light is. And the light continues to shine. As the apostles wrote the rest of the New Testament and preached the gospel, as the church has proclaimed it ever since. But now is the time of revelation in verse 17. We read, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known, and come to light. And then take care how you hear. notice are all about hearing, all these, these sections. So the time of relative obscurity is over. That time's gone. Jesus has come. And so it's the time of disclosure. God's vindication of, his, of himself, his plan for the history of the world has finally come in Jesus, and gospel proclamation is public, the Old Testament is made clear, it refers to Jesus Christ, and very, very shortly it's going to become clearer and clearer and clearer as the apostles preach after the cross of Jesus and his resurrection. And I don't know if you've gotten to read it yet, but Luke has a second volume, and that's the book of Acts. And so you read the book of Acts, it gets really clear about how you were saved in Jesus Christ. Now another interpretation, and perhaps both can be used, is that those who reject God, the sins of men's hearts are going to be exposed for what they really are by Jesus' teaching. And uh, it'll be obvious that the gospel that Jesus teaches is true. And so the, our apostle John writes about this in his gospel, in John three, says that this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light but lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, and that his deeds may be manifest as having been wrought in God. So the lamp has been placed prominently on the stage of world history, Jesus Christ. So how will you hear him? There's a reward for hearing well. Verse 18, you can circle this verse too, make a mess on your paper. You can circle verse 18, take care then how you hear. For the one who has, more is going to be given. And from the one who does not have even what he thinks he has is going to be taken away. Those who respond by hearing the gospel well are going to be rewarded. They're going to get further and further spiritual insight, receive more and more. This is how it's recorded in Mark chapter 4. And he was saying to them, take care how you listen. Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured back to you, and more shall be given to you besides. For whoever has, to him shall more be given, and whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Those who have not gained spiritual insight from listening to Jesus, from reading the scriptures, from listening to you tell them the gospel, I mean, they think they have something, but it's a false spirituality, and it's going to be taken away. Jesus is going to take it away. He's going to stop teaching them. And Jesus leaves no place to casually ponder his words as prideful intellectual people, right? It doesn't matter whether you're an intellectual or not. Most people who think they are aren't anyway, right? So, but a lot of people think they're really smart. So, but Jesus doesn't leave room for that. You can't just casually listen to him. It's just like it's stated in Proverbs 14, and you might want to write this one down. It's a good proverb, Proverbs 14:6 says, a scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none, but knowledge is easy to him who has understanding. Proverbs fourteen six 6. It's fulfilled here, right here in this passage we're looking at. A scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none, but knowledge is easy to him who has understanding. You see, close disciples receive the word, and they just keep on receiving more and more. I mean, what's been your experience with the Scriptures? Is your understanding increasing? Do you want more of it? Are you getting more of it? I mean, look at the promise that's held out to you. Is that motivating to you? That the more you read, the more you meditate, the more you pray on Scripture, the more God's going to give you understanding of His Word? And What about the warning? Hopefully that doesn't apply to you today. So to become a close disciple, one who here, a close disciple is, I mean, if you're a close disciple of Jesus, what's Jesus going to do? he's going to give you more and more understanding because you're close to him. Must hear the word of God truly as we've learned with a good heart, hold on to it, persevere in doing it. And then it takes us to the third lesson from Jesus on hearing the word of God. Close disciples not only listen to the word, but they obey it in verses 19 to 21. So then we read about this very interesting story here. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the Word of God and do it. Notice we're still talking about hearing the Word of God. This is all one big section. And now I think you'll get the idea of why I bring up the word closeness. Because now it really comes into play as we talk about family relationships here. Now, there's a much larger context to understand, and Mark provides that for us. He says, and when his family heard of this, that is, the multitudes gathering, pressing in on Jesus, hearing about Jesus healing people, hearing about Jesus casting out demons, okay, that's the context. When his family hears about this, they went out to take custody of him because they were saying he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying he's possessed by the devil, the and he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. Now, Luke's presentation is much, much shorter, and uh, as he talks about, he'll talk more about this topic, actually, in chapter 11, it comes up even more, and we'll talk about it, but he here wants to highlight to us the words in verse 21, and how they encapsulate hearing the word theme that we've been looking at. So, the immediate situation is in verses 19 and 20, but, but the statement, the focus is verse 21, so you can circle verse 21. Apparently, Jesus was speaking to crowds indoors when his mother and brothers want to talk to him, and they assert their position. It's like, hey, you know, I'm his mom, and these are his brothers, so we want to get to see him. Apparently, Jesus is inside at the moment, um, and they're outside somewhere, and so it's a common assumption by scholars that, you know, that Joseph uh, has passed away already, and uh, we don't know exactly uh, what they wanted, but perhaps, as Mark has noted, And they were really concerned. I mean, they might have been also very critical of him at the same time. And that's sort of the common understanding is that, you know, his own family really didn't believe in him yet fully. And his brothers, of course, aren't going to believe until after the resurrection. And that, of course, everything gets clarified for Mary then at that point too. But the present concern of Luke is not that situation. It's not not that at all. It's not even the close family relationships. His focus is on that saying that Jesus said, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus is using this concept of family to emphasize the honor that is really given to a true follower and disciple, that you could be called family. I mean, you couldn't be closer to Jesus than that. And in no way is he dishonoring his natural family by saying that. He's simply just saying that those who are a part of his true spiritual family are those who hear and obey the word of God. You see, hearing with just an intellectual understanding is not enough. You have to have true faith, and you have to obey the Word. And Apostle James would write this to us in chapter 1 of his book, "'But prove yourselves doers of the Word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, and then after seeing that, uh, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does." So those who do the Word of God follow after Jesus. They do the Father's will, and this is emphasized in Matthew and Mark's presentation, just like Jesus did. He said, I always do the will of my Father. And so we're then part of the true spiritual family because we bear resemblance to Jesus and wanting to obey. We have the same father, you see, because we act the same way. And so, close disciples, those who are part of His true spiritual family, they not only listen to the word, but they obey it. I mean, what an honor to be called members of Jesus' own family by Jesus himself. What do you need to do to get even closer to Jesus in real life, in your daily experience? I mean, to become a close and even closer disciple, you have to hear the word of God with with a good heart. Hold on to it, and then persevere in doing it. So each of these three sections that we looked at this morning, you can see they're all about one thing. Every single section ends the same way. It's all about hearing the Word of God. The parable of the soils, the analogy of the lamp, the family situation, they all teach us how to hear the Word of God. And we learn that disciples who are really close to Jesus, they hear it and they bear fruit in their life. I mean, we might want to ask ourselves, Do I really want the Word of God to penetrate my heart deeper than it even has already? To expose things in my life that I want changed? Close disciples do. Close disciples also receive the Word and they keep on receiving it. So we might want to ask ourselves a question like, Do I see the Word as light from heaven? And that God is just going to give me further and further understanding as I spend time in it. You see, close disciples not only listen, but they obey. Do I understand that the Word of God and obeying it is a means to a relationship with God? It's sort of the key to staying close. So if you haven't done so already, I would encourage you to believe the gospel that Luke has articulated for you and has been for so many chapters. Jesus is the Son of God. And the words he speaks are true. Listen to him. And like He asks you to, and to put, put all your faith in Him and keep learning, He would die upon a cross for your sins and be raised in glory for our salvation. And if you do, He's going to make you part of His spiritual family and bless you with salvation and so much more. Now, I want to return to the parable of the soils for a moment briefly here. So, we learned today also that evangelism is sort of like farming. Farming. Now, if you remember back in chapter 5 in Luke, we learned that evangelism was sort of like fishing. Right? Well, here it's sort of like farming. We faithfully sow the Word of God, and then we wait with patience and expectation for the crops. And we're not distracted by the seed that gets lost on the path. You know, I find that it's sort of sad. I think it might be an American Christian problem more than others, but we, we spend a lot of time talking about and worrying about the seed on the path, trying to somehow, you know, make it work, trying to somehow make it fruitful, these people fruitful, as if we could change the results. Maybe if we were more pragmatic, more creative, just keep trying. So, but we're not supposed to be distracted by the seed that gets lost, or discouraged by the withering of first sprouts, or disheartened by the failed promises of bare stalks. Sure, it's sad, but we're to be focused upon the greater fruitfulness of the harvest of the kingdom. That's our focus. Our joy is in the abundant yield of the gospel of so many other people who actually receive the Word of God purely. And it's important for us to remember that God does the hard work anyway we don't do the work, we can't save anybody. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6, the Apostle Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. God causes growth. So then neither he who plants nor the one who waters is really anything, but God who causes the growth. And then finally, I just wanna end by talking about our honored and close relationship that's emphasized in verse 21. I mean, it's a very long passage, and it's all about hearing the Word of God, and Luke chooses to end with verse 21. My mother and my brothers, my family, my spiritual family, are those who hear the Word of God and do it. That's a wonderful privilege to be a part of God's family. In John chapter 1, the Apostle John writes, As many as received him... Talking about Jesus, as many as received Jesus, to them He gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And in Romans 8, and there's so many other passages in the Bible. But Romans 8:14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. So I want us to leave dwelling upon this particular passage, this astounding privilege, to be a member of God's family. So if you, we do want to get closer to Jesus, I believe we all do. They're here this morning. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here this morning, I assume. So let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for your scriptures, and we do pray that we've heard well. We ask that you would uh, cause fruit to spring up in our life because of the way that we have listened to your word this morning. And as it says in verse 15, they are those who heard the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. We want that to be us, ourselves. Verse 18, we read, take care how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. Lord, we want that to be true of us. We want more understanding. In verse 21, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the Word of God and do it. And we pray for the grace in our lives to do it and to be even closer to you and to enjoy our relationship with you as part of the spiritual family of God. And we ask all these things, Lord Jesus, in your name this morning, that you would do them for your glory. Amen.